Section 6 of The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 3, December 1896. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Read by Julie Burks. The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 3, December 1896. Section 6. The Blowout at Jenkins's Grocery by Ella Higginson. The hands of the big round clock in Mr. Jenkins's grocery pointed to eleven. Mr. Jenkins was tying a string around a paper bag containing a dollar's worth of sugar. He held one end of the string between his teeth. His three clerks were going around the store with the little stiff prances of deference to the customers they were serving. It was the night before Christmas. They were all so worn out that their attempts at smiles were only painful contortions. Mr. Jenkins looked at the clock. Then his eyes went in a hurried glance of pity to a woman sitting on a high stool close to the window. Her feet were drawn up on the top rung, and her thin shoulders stooped over her chest. She had sunken cheeks and hollow eyes. Her cheekbones stood out sharply. For two hours she had sat there, almost motionless. Three times she had lifted her head and fixed a strained gaze upon Mr. Jenkins and asked, "'Do you want to shut up yet?' Each time receiving an answer in the negative, she had sunk back into the same attitude of brute-like waiting. It was a wild night. The rain drove its long, slanting lances down the window panes. The wind howled around corners, banged loose shutters, creaked swinging signboards to and fro, and vexed the telephone wires to shrill, continuous screaming. Fierce gusts swept in when the door was opened. Christmas shoppers came and went. The woman saw nothing inside the store. Her eyes were set on the doors of a brightly lighted saloon across the street. It was a small new boom town on Puget Sound. There was a saloon on every corner, and a brass band in every saloon. The establishment opposite was having its opening that night. At home, cards in square envelopes had been sent out to desirable patrons during the previous week. That day, during an hour's sunshine, a yellow chariot, drawn by six cream-colored horses with snow-white manes and tails, had gone slowly through the streets, bearing the members of the band clad in white and gold. It was followed by three open carriages, gay with the actresses who were to dance and sing that night on the stage in the rear of the saloon. All had yellow hair and were dressed in yellow, with white silk sashes and white ostrich plumes falling to their shoulders. It was a gorgeous procession, and it drew. The woman lived in the Grand View edition, the addition consisted mainly of cabins built of shakes and charred stumps. The grand view was to come some ten or twenty years later on, when the forests surrounding the addition had taken their departure. It was a full mile from the shore. She had walked in with her husband through the rain and slush, after putting six small children to bed. They were very poor. Her husband was shiftless. It was whispered of them by their neighbors that they couldn't get credit for two bits, except at the saloons. 
A relative had sent the woman ten dollars for Christmas gift. She had gone wild with joy. Ten dollars? It was wealth. For once, the children should have a real Christmas. A good dinner, toys, candy, all of the things. There should be a wax doll for the little girl who had cried for one every Christmas and never even had one in her arms. Just for this one time, they should be happy like other children, and she should be happy in their happiness like other mothers. What did it matter that she had only two calico dresses and one pair of shoes, half-soled at that, and capped across the toes? Her husband had entered into her childish joy. He was kind and affectionate when he was sober. That was why she never had the heart to leave him. He was one of those men who were always needing, pleading for, and alas, receiving, forgiveness. One of those men whom their women love passionately and cling to forever. He promised her solemnly that he would not drink a drop that Christmas, so solemnly that she believed him. He had helped her to wash the dishes and put the children to bed, and he had kissed her. Her face had been radiant when they came into Mr. Jenkins's store. That poor gray face with its sunken cheeks and eyes, they bought a turkey, and with what anxious care she had selected it, testing its tenderness, balancing it on her bony hands, examining the scales with keen, narrowed eyes when it was weighed, and a quart of cranberries, a can of minced meat, and a can of plum pudding, a head of celery, a pint of Olympia oysters, candy nuts, and then the toys. She trembled with eagerness. Her husband stood watching her, smiling good-humoredly, his hands in his pockets. Mr. Jenkins indulged in some serious speculation as to where the money was coming from to pay for all this blowout. He set his lips together and resolved that the blowout should not leave the store under any amount of promises until the cash paying for it was in his cash drawer. Suddenly, the band began to play across the street. The man threw up his head like an old war horse at the sound of a bugle note. A fire came into his eyes, into his face a flush of excitement. He walked down to the window and stood looking out, jingling some keys in his pockets. He breathed quickly. After a few moments, he went back to his wife. Mr. Jenkins had stepped away to speak to another customer. "'Say, Molly, old girl,' he said affectionately, without looking at her, "'you can spare me enough out of that tenor to get a plug of tobacco for Christmas, can't you?' "'Why, well, I, I guess so,' she said slowly. The first cloud fell on her happy face. "'Well, just let me have it, and I'll run out and be back before you're ready to pay for these here things. I'll only get two bits worth.' She turned very pale. "'Can't you get it here, Mart?' "'No.' he said in a whisper. His ain't fit to chew. I'll be right back, Molly. Honest. She stood motionless, her eyes cast down, thinking, if she refused, he would be angry and remain away from home all the next day to pay her for the insult. If she gave it to him, well, she would have to take the chances. But, oh, her hand shook as she drew the small gold piece from her shabby purse and reached it to him, his big, warm hand closed over it. She looked up at him. Her eyes spoke the passionate prayer that
that her lips could not utter. Don't stay long, Mart, she whispered, not daring to say more. I won't, Molly, he whispered back. I'll hurry up. Get anything you want. She finished her poor shopping. Mr. Jenkins wrapped everything up neatly. Then he rubbed his hands together and looked at her and said, Well, there now, Miss Dupin, I... Just lay them all there together on the counter, she said hesitantly. I I'll have to wait until Mark comes back before I can pay you. I see him going to the saloon over there, piped out the errand boy shrilly. At the end of half an hour, she climbed upon the high stool and fixed her eyes on the saloon opposite and sat there. She saw nothing but the glare of those windows and the light streaming out when the doors opened. She heard nothing but the torturing blare of the music. After a while, something commenced beating painfully in her throat and temples. Her limbs grew stiff. She was scarcely conscious that they ached. Once she shuddered strongly, as dogs do when they lie in the cold, waiting. At twelve o'clock, Mr. Jenkins touched her kindly on the arm. She looked up with a start. Her face was gray and old. Her eyes were almost wild in their strained despair. "'I guess I'll have to shut up now, Miss Dupin,' he said apologetically. "'I'm sorry.' She got down from the stool at once. "'I can't take them things,' she said, almost whispering. "'I hate to have put you to all that trouble of doing them up. I thought—but I can't take them. I hope you won't mind very much.' Her bony fingers twisted together under her thin shawl. "'Oh, that's all right,' said Mr. Jenkins, in an embarrassed way. She moved stiffly to the door. He put out the lights and followed her. He felt mean somehow. For one second he hesitated. Then he locked the door and gave it a shake to make sure that it was all right. "'Well,' he said, "'good night. I wish you a merry—' "'Good night,' said the woman. She was turning away— when the doors of the saloon opened for two or three men to enter. The music, which had ceased for a few minutes, struck up another air, a familiar air. She burst suddenly into wild and terrible laughter. Oh, my Lord, she cried out. They were playing home, sweet home, in there. Oh, my Lord, wouldn't that kill you? End of section six. End of the Black Cat, volume two, number three. December 1896.